The opening of Die Meistersinger at Gleinborn represents the realization of a dream, one begun almost 80 years ago when Gleinborn's founder, John Christie, yearned to have the piece performed in his garden and even performed some of it himself in the house's famous organ room. It was only with the building of the present house that Wagner became a practical possibility. But even so, it's by far the biggest and most ambitious production ever to appear on this stage. Wagner's drama is itself monumental in scale, officially a comedy, but with many other layers. The drama unfolds over five hours and tells the story of a young nobleman, Walter, and his attempt to penetrate the elite ranks of master singers, for which he takes instruction in the rules and techniques of musical composition under the tutelage of Hans Sachs, all for the purpose of winning the girl he loves, Eva. Die Meistersinger is to be conducted by Gleinborn's music director, Vladimir Yurovsky, who took time with me in the organ room, as it happens, to discuss this extraordinary project. It's the most multi-layered piece you can imagine. It's also one of the most self-referential works of art ever written, because it's an opera about composing music. It's opera about writing poetry. It's also opera about love. It's opera about envy. It's opera about artistic jealousy and it's opera about human passions and weaknesses. And it's opera about the relationship between art and life and between art and craft. I'd like to ask you to begin with, just to pick out any particular musical moments or references that we should listen out for in these three acts. Well, it's obviously the overture in Act One, which is one of the most famous orchestral pieces of music ever written. Very interestingly, that was the very first piece of music Wagner created when composing Die Meistersinger. Usually it's done the other way around. Usually you write the opera and then at the end you pick all the important tunes, put them together and produce an overture. Wagner started with writing an overture which already contains almost all of the important leitmotifs for the later piece. Then in Act One, I would say it's the, the David's explanation of the Meistersinger rules, which is a, an extremely virtuosic piece, uh, which uh, Topi Lechtipu, um, the, the Finnish tenor, does absolutely brilliantly. It's, it's like walking on a tightrope. Also, it's one of the most difficult pieces um, for the orchestra and the conductor to accompany because every single bar presents a different uh, set of problems. Sometimes different time signature, different tempo. It's, a, it's an extremely delicate piece of music, but, but a highly entertaining one as well for the audience. It's very, very funny, the description of all the Mastersinger tunes and all the rules. And then in Act One, of course, it's the, the big song of Walter von Stolzing, which, unfortunately, fails to achieve any success with, with the Mastersinger audience, but never fails to achieve a huge success with the real audiences. I would say this is the music closest to the style of Tristan and Isolde, which Wagner wrote in this piece. 
It's absolutely inebriating is the word. And act two? And in act two, there is a lovely, very lyrical, very uh, psychologically truthful scene between Eva and Zucks, which is really like a, a chamber play within a play. And then, of course, the probably funniest, uh, or one of the two funniest pieces of music in the whole opera, the scene between Beckmesser and Zucks, the serenade with the hammer, where Beckmesser is playing the lute. Uh, well, in our production, he plays the mandolin and Zaxa is accompanying him with a hammer. And uh, the end of Act Two, also one of the hardest things for the chorus and for the conductor, uh, the riot fugue, which really is a perfectly written fugue, following all the principles of the strict counterpoint. And then Act Three being the longest single act in operatic history, two hours and ten minutes almost, um, it starts with the most beautiful prelude, very calm, majestic, solemn, but also tragic music, which describes the inner life of Hans Sachs and his big conflict with himself. And then I love this scene between Zax and Beckmesser in Act 3, which is very, very hard to make work because it's technically very difficult and it's pure comedy. And at the same time, it's, um, it's very important, it contains very important pieces of information which are necessary to understand everything which follows. Um, and I, I have a feeling that Johann Strauss, when composing certain episodes in his Fledermaus, was consciously writing a parody on uh, this particular duet between Zax and Beckmesser. And then, of course, Walter's prize song, the winning song of the competition. But um, you see, I'm already um, on a stage in my personal relationship with this opera, where I stopped separating it in scenes. For me, each act has its own flow. And in order to enjoy it, you've got to somehow come into the groove, into the pace, into the lilt. It's also something to do with the right tempo. Uh, Richard Strauss once noted that every single act of Die Meistersinger has its own tempo. And you've got to, as a conductor, you've got to find it, and it shouldn't be too fast or too slow. Then the piece plays itself, then the narrative is enabled. One aspect of this piece which is quite interesting is that Wagner was also the librettist, of course, as well as the composer. And the libretto, the, the story, is about a composing competition, and in particular the way the pupil, Walter, who wants to become a Meistersinger, and who starts off as a talented novice, takes instruction from Hans Sachs, the most accomplished of the master singers, about the rules and techniques of composition. Is there something autobiographical about this, do you think? Do we learn something about Wagner as a musician just in the libretto? We learn a, a huge amount 
about Wagner as a musician, about Wagner as a poet, and Wagner as a man, Wagner as um, a political act uh, activist. And the one thing we, we should always consider is that Wagner didn't write his Master Singer in one go. He had the first attempt at the libretto as early as 1845. So after his Tannhäuser was finished, he felt the need to compose like a little addendum to Tannhäuser, which is a drama, almost a tragedy, um, similar to the ancient Greek tradition that after the tragedy, they followed the satire game. At that time, Wagner clearly identified himself with the young artist, with the young knight, Walter von Stolzing. That was the art of the future, and that was the art for which Wagner would be fighting himself. Then there was a second and a third attempt at the libretto, and eventually he ended up writing Masterzinger after Tristan was finished, and he was in the middle of the composition of the ring. By that time, Wagner, who was already in his 50s, started identifying himself with the elder protagonist of the opera, with Hans Sachs. On top of it comes that in the time of the first libretto sketch, Wagner was still very much the, he was still very much under the influence of the Feuerbach philosophy, the positivist philosophy, with some strong socialist ideas. By the time he ended the, the opera, he was completely absorbed by the philosophy of Schopenhauer. So the idea of giving art and the judgment of art to the people springs from the time when Wagner was still a socialist. The idea of the older men resigning from life and generously and graciously giving away the girl he loves and even the position of the principal artist of his town community to somebody else, somebody younger, that's already to do with the Schopenhauer philosophy. And in the, in the final version of Die Meistersinger, in the way Wagner designs Hans Sachs, we see um, the projection of his own persona, or probably better to say, of the way he would like other people to view him as a man and as an artist. And what do we learn about Wagner as an artist? It is very much a piece about art. In every act, you've got at least one lengthy discussion about the making of art. In every act, we have a song which is freshly created by one of the protagonists. And we also have some critical response to the song. Walter composing his song in Act 1, Beckmesser composing his song in Act 2, and then Walter composing another one, Beckmesser distorting it with his bad performance, and then Walter 
finally presenting the final version of it during the contest, although I have to note that the version which is created in the cobbler shop in the beginning of Act 3 is very different from the version Walter presents at the singing contest. And that's part of this Schopenhauerian idea of the art, Schopenhauerian then Wagnerian idea of art being the permanent improvisation. You mention Schopenhauer here, the German philosopher, and the idea of art as improvisation. And of course we know that Wagner composed a lot as improvisation and then wrote it down. Now Walter, the pupil in this drama, also starts off writing a completely freely composed, freely improvised song. If the first song of Walter is being a completely free improvisation without any rules, the second song, written under the guidance of Hans Sachs, is very much following the rules, and at the first glance it appears almost conventional. But when Walter then presents it at the competition, he leaves the path of his pre-written pattern and starts improvising along it. And he makes this song much more interesting through this. So arguably, in musical terms, Wagner was trying to somehow connect, blend, marry up the principles of total freedom as developed in Tristan during the years of the Tristan composition with the much stricter rules of the classical music and even going further back to the 18th century rules of strict polyphony. So the whole of the Meistersinger is reflecting the development of Wagner the man, Wagner homo politicus, and Wagner the artist. Vladimir, thank you very much for talking to me.